I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Well, the Vatican has cooked up a brand new mess, and I'm kind of expecting a lot of calls from people who are of the Catholic faith. I'm not of the Catholic faith. I'm a Protestant. But boy, Pope Francis, well, he's made a radical change in one of the biggest and most powerful institutions on earth, and that is the 1.3 billion member Catholic Church worldwide. So what has he done? Well, up until today... The Catholic Church has always said, we're not going to endorse sin. We're not going to endorse same-sex couples. Now, does that mean they shut out people who are homosexual from getting blessings from God? Nope, nope, but they're not going to bless the union of two gay individuals. Now they are. Pope Francis has formally approved allowing priests to bless same-sex couples. And if your first reaction to that is like mine, and you say, well, hold on, he's going to bless same-sex unmarried couples. Oh, yeah. In fact, the Vatican was specific in saying the Pope insists that if they give the blessing, it can't be in the form of anything that even resembles marriage. And why? Because the Catholic Church wants to stick to its standard that says it does not endorse gay marriage. It only endorses unmarried gay people living together. Well, isn't that sinful? I think I've read the book. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it is sinful. So that means the Vatican is now going to formally endorse sin. And I've raised the question, and I'd love it if some of my Catholic listeners would ask your priest, because apparently priests are getting a mountain of phone calls just in the last 24 hours or so saying, what in the world is going on? Their parishioners are coming to them saying, or congregants, whatever you call them, uh, they're saying, hey, how's this going to work out? And I've said, here's a, here's a question you could ask your priest. If you happen to be Catholic, as I said, I'm not, so I don't have a dog in the fight. But I do get concerned when a major institution that claims to represent Catholic Christians ignores the book that says this stuff is sinful. Living a uh, sex outside of marriage is sinful. Homosexuality is sinful. The Catholic Church is going to try to stick to that position, saying it's sinful activity, but now the Catholic Church is willing to bless it. Now, if that makes sense to any of you, if this were a Joe Blow opinion from somebody, I'd say, well, whatever, you know, opinions, uh, you got a million of them out there. But when it comes from one of the single most powerful institutions on earth, with a lot of political pull, a lot of political sw sway, an awful lot of wealth as well, and 1.3 billion members on planet earth out of about 8 billion people on the planet, I think it's worthy of talking about it and asking the question, what the heck? Because they call it the most radical recent change in Vatican policy by saying that people seeking God's love and mercy should not be subject, subject to an exhaustive moral analysis. Really? You're going to stop asking people, hey, would you mind not doing the sinful stuff? And then ask your priest. I want to see priests uh, of the Catholic religion ask this question. If a young straight couple came to you and said, uh, to their priest, Father, we'd like your blessing for my girlfriend and I to live together until we get married someday. And see how many priests would say, you can't just live together, have sex outside of marriage. That's sinful. 
Now, if a young gay couple comes to that same priest and says, will you bless our living together? And the priest says, absolutely, we will. You got to wonder if there's a political agenda at work because the Catholic Church is concerned about doing the politically correct thing. And this Pope Francis guy, he seems more like a Marxist to me. I mean, a lot of his positions on a lot of the issues of the day are completely off to the left side of the aisle. And apparently now they feel they're going to have to do this to, to the nth degree. The document from the Vatican's doctrine office released today elaborates on a letter. Well, I think they say it clarifies because apparently in, back in October, and we talked about this a, ba- a bit back then, Francis had sent a letter to two conservative cardinals that was published in October. He said that such blessings could be offered under some circumstances if they didn't confuse the ritual with the sacrament of marriage. The new document repeats that condition and then elaborates on it, reaffirming that marriage is only between a man and a woman. So, as I've said before, the Catholic Church often behaves in a very schizophrenic way. So, get this. Here's the list. If you want the, you know, sort of the flow chart of how this works. Marriage is only between a man and a woman. But... If you're not married, you can live with somebody who's gay and have sex outside of marriage. That's okay. We'll give it our blessing. It also stresses the blessings in question must be non-liturgical in nature and should not be conferred at the same time as a civil union. They can't have it look like marriage. But it says requests for such blessings from same-sex couples should not be denied, period. Now, I just think that sounds crazy. In any case, glad to have you with me on a Monday. A shout-out to our friends in San Antonio, Texas, where they listen to Great Talk Radio and Trey Ware on KTSA. That's AM 550 in San Antonio. SA, we're glad you're listening. And our Twitter poll today, should Christians who don't endorse LGBTQ be forbidden to be foster parents? This isn't about the church. This is about a young lady by the name of Jessica Bates. She's a Christian mother of five. She wants to adopt two kids out of foster care. And if your first thought about that is, well, aren't there a lot of kids in foster care who would be better off if they were adopted by a parent? Her application was denied because, in that case, the state, the state of Oregon in that case, said, unless you will endorse LGBTQ positions, We will not let you adopt those children. She is now in court, and I hope she wins. Let's go to David in Missouri. Hey, David, welcome to Monday on the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Yes. Yes, Lars, and thank you, and God bless you. I am a Catholic who definitely opposes what Pope Francis has done today, and it's nothing more than blasphemy and sacrilege, in my view, and I'm afraid he's going to have to answer for it one of these days. And as far as I'm concerned, we are to love those people, but we cannot endorse their lifestyle in any way, not even give them a blessing, in my view. I agree with you. Right? Now, David, he's he's not just created a, a blasphemy, but tell me this. What's your parish, what's your parish priest going to say? I'm not a Catholic. I'm a Protestant. But... If you go to your priest, say, Father, what's the deal on this? What, what in the world do you think he's going to tell you? Uh, personally, I think he's going to oppose it the same way I do, Lars. Well, then I, is the Pope believe... just trying to bust up the entire Catholic Church? I mean, it's a, it's a big, powerful group, 1.3 billion people. But is he, is he just driving a big old wedge right down the middle? 
I'm afraid he is, Lars. I've, I'm afraid he is. And so it's definitely not a good situation at all. And he's definitely going to have to answer for it one of these days. And by the way, before we go off the air, I want to agree with you yeah. on the situation there in Oregon about the parent wanting to adopt two more foster kids there. That's not a good situation either. No, we should be encouraging as many people as we possibly can. You want to adopt a child and provide a good, loving home for that child? You should be allowed to. And having to kowtow to the LGBTQ crowd first and pledge allegiance to them is absolutely out of line. It's a Monday. It's the Lars Larson Show. guessing what he'll say next. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you and always glad to welcome back our friend Ryan Walters, superintendent of the great Oklahoma State School System. Ryan, glad to have you. Hey, Lars, always appreciate it. Appreciate your work and thanks for having me back. I'm glad to do it. Now, there was something we had planned to talk about, but I want to ask you about something that just broke this afternoon, and that is it's about Harvard. Now, you went to Harding University in Searcy, Arkansas, right? Yes, sir, I did. Oh, and and I noticed when I looked him up today, I don't know what it was like back then, but they had about a 50% acceptance rate. So if you had a 1,000 kids apply, 500 of them got in. Harvard's acceptance rate is usually very, very low, but now we're hearing that an awful lot of students, uh, the number of students who have even applied to go to Harvard, I, I wouldn't want to go to Harvard, but there are other reasons for that, they've seen a 17% drop in applications, and that's a four-year low, and now apparently some of the kids who've been told Harvard accepts you are saying, yeah, thanks, no thanks. I want to know what you make of that. Oh, it's, it's, it's you know, it shows you uh, how out of step Harvard University is with America. You know, and I mean, and, and we have seen these institutions continue to accept Marxist propaganda. But, but this has just even gotten to a point that it's finally gotten to the mindset uh, of your, your your high school students, your 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 parents are going. Look, guys, we're not paying for that um, anti-Semitism and this anti-Americanism any longer. And we might finally be at a point, Lars, where we have reached enough of the public who have engaged on this that we can actually take back our higher ed institutions. Um, I, I think that that you're seeing that now. This elitism isn't going to stand. And um, I, I'm really thankful that we find, we have folks, uh, you know, sending the message with their checkbooks because that's what you really get their attention. Yeah, because that's what I'm hoping it is. Because, Ryan, you and I both know there are lots and lots of problems, not just education problems, that you say, why didn't somebody do something about that? And you say, well, it kind of has to get to something, not necessarily critical mass, but there has to be enough outrage over something for things to change in any dramatic fashion. I think you might be right. And if other colleges are watching that saying, look what's happening to Harvard. People, I mean, ordinarily, Mr. Walters, even... Uh, even though I wouldn't want to go to Harvard, I don't want the politics and I don't want all that. I don't. I can't even remember if I know anybody who's ever gone to Harvard, but I know 
that if you have a freshly minted Harvard degree, ordinarily, it is a door key that gets you in basically any place you want to go. You think I'm you think I'm overstating it? No, uh, you know, and that's where we've gone from is the, these Ivy League institutions that, again, used to be a staple of, you know, yeah, if you got a degree from here, it opens all these doors. Now people are going, actually, now a degree from there makes us wonder, you know, or have you just been indoctrinated as a social justice warrior? Um, were you in these clubs that were anti-Semitic and anti-American? And frankly, I, I hear from parents all the time, you know, my alma mater, which, by the way, is the Division II a national champion football team this year as of Congrats. Saturday, Harding University. Thank Congrats. you, thank you. Uh, but, you know, these Christian-based colleges are seeing a boom. Um, you know, I was just with the Harding president a few weeks ago, but boy, they're getting a lot more enrollment because folks know, you know, hey, a lot of the, the higher ed institutions that are more religious-natured are not going to be as likely to fall for this garbage. And he even told me, look, we've got Folks, you know that that uh, you know that aren't as religious a background. They go, look, we love what you're doing because we know it's grounded in something that's going to actually be along the line of American values, not this warped view of academia. Well, and and the other thing is, it seems to me that this example of Ms. Gay, who's the president of Harvard, she she apparently is a blatant plagiarist, hasn't published much to begin with, and usually university professors, you publish or you perish, and yet. They're letting her get away with all this, saying, oh, yeah, forget about her plagiarism. Forget about the fact that she doesn't write much. Uh, we're glad to keep her. I'm just kind of wondering, at what point does all that hypocrisy come through to the people who might consider going there, saying, you mean you've got standards where if you catch a kid, a student, uh, plagiarizing, that, that the kid is immediately kicked out or fairly somewhat summarily kicked out? But you've got leadership at the university that's allowed to plagiarize left and right, even with some other professors saying, hey, you know, President Gay stole stole my uh, my uh, work and put it off as her own. And you say, yeah, that's OK. It's Harvard. They can get away with it. That's that just sounds like a thoroughly corrupt institution. And by the way, you, you see the woke Olympics at work there. The way this works for the left is they care more about pushing their woke ideology than they do anything else. So guess what? Hey, as long as you're pushing DEI, that plagiarism, not that big of a deal. Secretary Cardona, President Joe Biden, Secretary of Education, uh, math scores are down, but hey, DEI and critical race theory are up. You know, hey, uh, you know, these scores aren't that bad, really. You know, I mean, they, they're really showing you for them, you know, hey, we'll look over all this, you know, things that have been so valued by academia for all these years, as long as, hey, as long as you're towing the line of woke ideology, hey, we'll, 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 we'll take a pass on these other things. You know, that's not really that big of a deal to us. I'm talking to Ryan Walters, who's superintendent of the Oklahoma State School System and a former U.S. history teacher. Let me uh, turn to the, qu the question we had considered bringing up with you when we first uh, talked about booking this interview. Are the teachers' strikes in the United States really about whether or not the teachers are getting the right paycheck and whether or not the kids are actually getting an education? Are they about something else entirely? It is about flexing union muscle and power. It, it is about inflicting damage to parents and to kids to keep um, the union-backed candidates in line, to let parents see that they're willing to do this um, to get what they want. And we need to be sending a loud message back to these unions that, guys, you don't need to be involved in education whatsoever. The fact that you're willing to punish your kids um, in the way that you are, hey, th that's what they're trying to do here. We've had a record investment 
in our schools as a nation. We have continued to invest in things like teacher pay. We have continued to put money into our school systems. And let me tell you, we can keep putting money, all the money in the world in it. If we don't get the reforms in place to put parents back in charge, to get back to the basics, to drive ideology, woke ideology out of the schools, we're going to keep getting the same results. And so this is simply, and you know, and I talk to teachers every day. They talk about how bullied and intimidated they are by the union. You talk to an average good teacher, they're going, hey, I want to work with my kids. You know, hey, I, I, you know, I, don't, I don't believe all this stuff, but I'm afraid to speak out. We have got to fight back against these unions and give parents, kids, and frankly, even your good teachers, the ability to go in there and do their job without being a pawn in their game. Well, and Ryan, one of the things that's always bothered me, I would get calls from teachers occasionally, and they'd say, you don't understand. The union's doing this. I don't agree with it. And I said, you are the union. In fact, you're, you, you've got one of the most powerful unions and powerful political operations in the country, uh, teacher unions, and you're a member. There's no reason, and you're well-educated. I mean, the average classroom teacher's got a, ma- a bachelor at least, master's usually, oftentimes a Ph.D., and you're telling me a bunch of very well-educated professionals can't stand up and tell the, the, the folks who allegedly represent them, the labor union, hey, you represent us, you're doing things that we don't agree with, change course or we're going to fire you. And, and these people are so gutless that they won't stand up to the people. I mean, if I hired a lawyer and one day I found out the lawyer was not representing me accurately, Ryan, do you know what? I give a pink slip to the lawyer or an accountant or an engineer or anybody else I hire. And, and yet these teachers say we're powerless. The union makes us do this stuff. I don't understand that attitude. It sounds very, very spineless. Yeah, we, we got to have teachers leave the unions. And we've been doing a PR campaign over here to let teachers see. Teachers, this is what the unions support. Because I'm going to tell you, Lars, what they do in red states, too, is they tell the teachers, you know, hey, we're just here to provide you professional development and, and give you liability insurance. And we go, guys, no, that, no, that's not what they're about. Let me show you what they advocate for at the Capitol. Let me show you what they said at their NEA conference that they want to push in the classroom. Let me show you how they have pushed for these sexual transgender ideology to be in your first grader's classroom. And we've had teachers leaving in mass. And I had a, one of the teachers unions representatives here came up to me and said, Hey, will you quit talking about us? We keep having people leave. And I go, I mean, are you serious right now? Like, of course I'm going to keep like, thank you for the, for the affirmation. Like I absolutely keep doing it. And so that's one of the things we keep doing here is, Hey, in a red state, Hey, teachers, Let's be really clear. This is the biggest advancer of Marxist ideology in the country. Absolutely right. That is Ryan Walters. Ryan, thanks very much. That's Ryan Walters, head of the Oklahoma State School System. Coming up in a moment, ESG and their ESG agenda at BlackRock is now under attack from Tennessee. The Lars Larson Show. investment in talk radio and it's free lars larson welcome back to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you you know we were kind of laughing because my producer joel and i were talking about the fact that there was a guy on the line i kind of hoped he'd stick around because he said he actually did what i suggested called his priest and said hey what about this new thing from the pope saying that they're going to bless 
gay couples, would you do the same for straight couples who come to you and say, I'd like you to bless us, Father. We're going to live together out of marriage and have sex. And, uh, and, and the priest said, no, of course not. So I think, I think the Catholic Church in America is going to have a lot of explaining to do. But glad to be with you on a Monday. Always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. He dropped off the line, but I would have loved to have heard the story. And I'm, I'm especially looking forward. And if any of you are wondering, well, Lars, why don't you do your due diligence and reach out to the Catholic Church and get somebody from one of the major archdioceses on? And I said, well, we do that every time. And we routinely get turned down because when it comes to questions that the church doesn't want to answer, when the Pope throws this kind of landmine or grenade out into the situation, says, no, we're not going to bless uh, uh, heterosexual couples, but we're sure going to bless gay couples because we want to appear to be inclusive and all that good stuff. I'd love to talk to somebody from one of the major Catholic institutions. We're going to do our best. We'll still ask the questions. I'm just telling you, don't hold your breath waiting for them to come on. Our Twitter poll, or X poll today, should Christians who don't endorse LGBTQ be forbidden to be foster parents? One state is doing that. There's a young lady. She's currently a mother of five. She's a Christian, uh, Jessica Bates. She's now in court. I have not talked to her, but she's in court saying that by telling her, if you won't endorse LGBTQ, you are not going to adopt those two kids out of foster care. So who is the state hurting in that case? They're hurting this young lady by telling her your religious point of view doesn't matter. You either give up your closely held faith beliefs and will allow you to adopt the kids, hold on to your faith beliefs, you will be forbidden. She gets hurt. The two kids who would otherwise go from foster care into an adoptive family, which, look, I, I know problems happen from time to time, but in most cases, families who adopt kids do right by them. Those kids are being hurt. And I would imagine every other kid out there, there aren't enough people, especially for older kids. You want to try to adopt a, a brand new baby in good health? Uh, it's not from why, from talking to the adoption folks. It's not hard to get that done at all. There are lots and lots of families, but try to find a kid that's older than five or six years of age, especially if they've maybe been through a troubling time in growing up and try to get them adopted into an adoptive family. There aren't nearly enough families to do that. So then when you start telling them, well, we're going to go woke on you. We're going to tell you you have to endorse this. Were, and, and it wouldn't surprise me one little bit that in blue states around America, if they start to say, if you will not endorse CRT, if you will not endorse DEI, if you will not endorse LGBTQ, all the alphabet soup of a mess that liberals have made of America, if you want to endorse that, you can't be an adoptive parent. I think that's dead wrong. So should Christians be forbidden to be foster parents if they won't endorse LGBTQ? I'd say no. You can vote any way you like at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. And always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I joined the group. You should, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. I want to plant one thought in your mind and have you think about it a bit. I'm not telling you I have the answer or even a strong opinion, although I do have a strong opinion on this. The question is raised that when they look at the numbers for the United States, 
Why are so very many Americans dying early in life? Now, here's where the alarm is coming from. Life insurance companies keep track of this because to write life insurance policies, they have to know in any given group of people of this age and this background, et cetera, et cetera, we know this many people will die early uh, and not pay in their full premiums and all that. We'll have to pay off a claim. Life insurance companies have to know that. So they are now sounding the alarm saying that in the last four years, since 2019, the number of what they call excess deaths, that is people who died before you would have expected them to die, 158,000 more Americans in the first nine months of this year, 2023, than in the same period of 2019. Now, they say that exceeds America's combined losses from every war since Vietnam. Congress is going to take a look at this. But my question for you is, why is this happening? Do I think it might have something to do with the jab, the mRNA so-called vaccine, the one that doesn't stop people from getting COVID uh, or transmitting COVID or anything else? No. Uh, I do want to make this mention, though. A female soldier with the 173rd Airborne Brigade has now made history by becoming the first active duty woman to complete the Army's elite sniper school and qualify as a sniper. I don't have her name in front of me, but congratulations to her. And the United States has seen a gigantic increase in what they call homelessness, although depending on where you live, that can be defined a number of different ways and a number of different deceptive ways. 12% up in homelessness all across this country. They said about 653,000 people nationwide were somehow homeless during the month of January. And if you hear me question, well, how do you define homeless? Let me just tell you that I live in a very liberal part of America, and I'm aware over the years as a reporter, I've sat down with officials who claim to be tackling this problem, and I've said to them, well, how do you define homeless? Because conventionally, you and I would say, well, somebody sleeping on the sidewalk, somebody living under a tarp, that's a person who's homeless. Depending on where you are and how much they want to monkey with the numbers, I've seen counties and cities and even states define homelessness as you live uh, at a friend's house and you sleep in their spare bedroom. You sleep on the couch. You sleep on the floor. And you say, well, you're still inside a house. That's not homeless. Well, it is depending on how they want to define it. And if you ask yourself, why would anybody in government want to accentuate the number of homeless people, build it up to a number bigger than it really is? And the answer is uh, because it means money. They have dollar signs attached to it. I would tell you that a long time ago, probably close to 25 years ago, Tina and I lived on, uh, Tina, my wife and I lived on what's called a floating home. It floats on logs on a river. And uh, it's an interesting way to live. You've seen it depicted in movies like, uh, 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 what was that? I can't remember. No, in any case. Um, and while we were having uh, some work done on that house, it had been built in 1910. It was kind of a shack. Uh, but we decided we're going we're gonna to remodel it thoroughly. Uh, where did we live? We happened to have a sailboat at the time. And I had lived on the sailboat for a while. And you can do it. It's about 100 square feet that you're living in. So it's one of the smallest places I've ever lived in in my life. But I'd lived on one for years. And I had no problem with it. We lived on the boat. I was stunned to find out at the time that I was defined as homeless. Well, hold on. I was inside. I was in a heated area. 
it's actually a nice way to live if if you can live in a in a nice moorage somewhere. Uh, and you say, well, hold on, that's homeless? Yep, it's homeless. I do want to congratulate the state of Tennessee, which is suing the company BlackRock, the world's largest financial asset manager. There is a lawsuit because here's what they're claiming the state of Tennessee is. They have said uh, prioritizing financial returns and other prioritizing of investment policies to combat climate change, and they are getting a lot of pushback on what is known as their ESG environmental, social, and governance strategy. The state of Tennessee says BlackRock is being deceptive, and I wish them well in that lawsuit. I hope that they win. Coming up in just a moment, negotiations are in full swing over the $106 billion supplemental budget for the border, Israel, and Ukraine. We'll talk to the former acting director of ICE up next. And Tom Homan, who's the former acting director for ICE, author of the book, Defend the Border and Save Lives, and a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Tom, I got to tell you something. I don't trust the Biden administration as far as I can throw them. I think they're a thoroughly corrupt bunch of crooks. And on this, I'm especially concerned because I applaud that conservatives have said, hey, we're not voting any more money for Ukraine. And of course, that deal's tied into Israel and then Israel's tied into the border. Uh, unless we get something done on the border. But even if we get them to allocate additional monies to the border, is the Biden administration, given what they've done over the last three years now almost, are they going to actually do the right thing with it and safeguard the border? Are they just going to use billions of our dollars to uh, to speed up the invasion of America that's been going on? Welcome back, by the way, Tom. Yeah, if you look at the, the, the request for money, most of the money be going to NGOs to just process quicker, release quicker, and put them in hotel rooms at taxpayer expense, fly them around the country on taxpayer dime. I don't think there's any money going toward actual border security. And, and they're saying they'll, they'll look at a couple policies. And, but people need to understand, we don't need more money at the border. This isn't a, this shouldn't be a budget issue. It's, it's a policy issue. If they just simply turn on the Remain in Mexico program, turn on the Third Safe Country Agreements, we can solve a lot of this problem. This is fixable. With it, they can get a secure border. I mean, pretty much a secure board by just changing policy, but they refuse to do it. Just enforce the law. They could fix a lot of of it, but they simply don't want to do it. They haven't done one thing to slow the flow. So I don't trust them either. So at that point, is the only acceptable vote on this to say just no to the whole package, no to Ukraine, no to Israel, and no to additional money for Joe Biden and his friends to facilitate even faster illegal entry? Is there... Is it acceptable at all? Would there be any kind of deal where you think we could actually get something done? HR two, uh, uh, HR two was passed by the House. You know, I help I help on the, some of that with the Heritage Foundation. HR two is, is the strongest border security bill I've seen in my career, which is now over thirty five years. Uh, if they were to adopt HR two in its full, in its entirety. Then it's worth it because that, that you know HR two has a lot of Trump policies in it that has been proven effective. So that's why I've been telling the Republicans talking to I've talked to. So don't negotiate against yourselves. Don't negotiate against success. These, this isn't a guess. If we put this in place, will it work? We know it work. We did it. So HR two, if HR two is put in, uh, if they can legislate that, put it into law, uh, full nonstop, all of it. 
then it'd be worth it because we'd actually be back to uh, you know implementing the, the most successful policies of the Trump administration. But as you can see, from I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching every day that I'm pushing back on HR two, saying he's xenophobic, he's anti-American, he's anti-Christian. It's not. It's 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 it just it just isn't about illegal immigration anymore. When you overwhelm the system this much, it's about no respected terrorists. It's about gangs. It's about fentanyl. It's about sex trafficking women and children. Now is the time to get it done. We're at the right place, right time. HR2, get HR2 fully implemented, and I think it would work. Well, and, and let me ask you this then, Tom. We're at an inflection point because we've got a presidential election uh, com- com- <clears throat> coming up about 10 months from now, and Joe Biden is very much in trouble uh, in that regard. I don't want him to win, but is it possible that at that kind of point, if the Congress has the guts to say no to the spending package, which you and I agree would just you know lead to further trouble and more invasion, that maybe we could get him to change policies? Uh, because I don't see any chance for H.R. 2 uh, to pass the House and the Senate and get signed by Joe Biden. Do you? No. No, that's just uh, if that was possible, I think you got to do. Other than that, they need to stick by their guns. Look, at what point is enough enough? At what point is it worth shutting the government down? I mean, bottom line is is that we were dealing with a national security failure of huge proportions. Border Patrol arrested people from 171 different countries. Some of these countries are sponsored for terror. Last year alone, they arrested over 227 on the southern border. They, in the same year, they arrested 432 on the northern border for a grand total, like 659. So, you know, and we got 1.8 million known gotaways. And these are people who, who entered the country, paid more to get away. Why didn't they take advantage of the free airline ticket, the free hotel room, the free meals, the free medical? Why didn't they take advantage of that? Because they didn't want to be vetted. They want to be fingered. Obviously, why they paid more. So this is a huge national security issue. Biggest national security failure since 9-11. If if there's any time to to stick to our guns and and close it down over a border, now is the time. Well, and Tom, it almost seems like even major players like Chris Ray, who comes in and says, yes, we have a very serious concern about the border but then he proceeds to do exactly nothing about it it's almost as though well he's admitted there's a problem yes and is he doing anything about it And the answer is no so he's indicted himself i mean if he had come to the congress and said look there's a problem on the border we've got a major national security issue there and here are the things you should do and i'll tell president biden either either do these things or i'll resign as the head of the fbi uh, that if he did something like that, at least later, if something bad happens, he could say, well, you know, I did everything I could and I resigned my post rather than stay involved in it. Uh, and that's about as strong a statement as anybody could make. He hasn't done that. He just said, yeah, we've got a major problem there. And then the Biden administration and Chris Ray and the DOJ and the CBP and ICE have just continued to ignore it. Yeah, well, I think, I think that I put Secretary Marcus in that same frame because I've done a lot of shows and they say, well, isn't he just following orders from the White House by not, you know, doing it to secure the border? I said, look, maybe. I said, the bottom line is he's the Secretary of Homeland Security. He took an oath. I said, his job is to defend this country. I yep. said, he has the same data points I had, the 171 countries, that no inspected terrorists, the people on the screening watch list, how many gotaways. He has the same number I had. Plus, he sat next to Christopher Ray, and Christopher Ray says there's more red lights blinking on national security you've ever seen. Secretary of is Secretary of Homeland Security. I don't care who he takes his orders from. He should be standing, going to the White House and saying, I can no longer support this open borders agenda as the Secretary of Homeland Security, so I resign. 
A, a, a better man would, a man with integrity would, because it's not about who you take an order from. It's about the safety and security of this nation and upholding the oath you took to keep Americans safe, and he's not doing it. Well, and Tom, look, I, throughout my career, there have been times I've never been actually put to the test where somebody says, I want you to do something illegal or immoral, you know, in regards to your job. But I've told friends, if they ever ask me to do that, I'm gone. I will submit my resignation. These folks are mature in their careers. They're not worried about paying the rent or their pension or anything else. They're, they're doing just fine. And they're agreeing to take the orders and not even threatening to say, if you don't fix this, Mr. President, I'm out the door. They're not doing it. And it's not as, like I said, it's not as though they're worried, gosh, if I don't get my next paycheck, I won't be able to pay next month's rent. None of those jokers are in that kind of position. Tom, thanks very much. That's Tom Homan, author of the book, Defend the Border and Save Lives. He's the former acting director for ICE, now at the Heritage Foundation. I'll get to your phone calls in a bit at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll or X poll, if you want to call it that. Check out my Instagram feed. That's always interesting. And tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday, and I'm always glad to get your calls. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it happens right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. In, in just a moment, I realize there are a lot of issues that are big deal issues out there. The Pope and his crazy statement about blessing the unions, uh, not the unions, but blessing the couples, the gay couples that Pope Francis is now going to bless. That one doesn't make any sense to me, but that's already on the agenda. But I want to mention something about green energy that is a brand new development from where else? The White House, the source of much of the climate insanity that's going on. And the bad things it does to Americans. But let me get to that in just a moment. First, welcome to the program. You want to weigh in? It's 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, well, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our Twitter poll or X poll. Uh, you'll find it at Lars Larson Show. Should Christians who refuse to endorse LGBTQ points of view be forbidden to be foster parents. It's actually a real, it's not a theoretical question. There's a young lady by the name of Jessica Bates. She's a Christian mother of five. She wants to adopt two kids out of foster care. That is an admirable thing to do. And yet she was denied because when the state she lives in, in this case, the state of Oregon said, well, you have to endorse LGBTQ plus point of view. And she says that, that would, run counter to my Christian beliefs. No kidding. And uh, of course it would. 
And they said, well, then you can't adopt. That's the insanity we're up against. She's now contesting it in court. I hope she wins. She's taking it there on the First Amendment basis, and I think she's going to win. Should Christians who won't endorse LGBTQ plus point of view uh, be forbidden to be foster parents? I'd say no, they should not be forbidden to be foster parents. Today's Twitter poll or X poll can be found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com and always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join. You should, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Now, I hope you're listening. And by the way, a shout out to our friends in Charlottesville, Virginia, where they listen to Joe Thomas in the morning and great talk radio all day on WCHV. That's FM 1075 in Charlottesville. And you can find my show there Monday through Friday. Let me tell you this one little item. This is so consequential. One of the biggest things that America has done in the last 20 years to reduce the amount of CO2 that it puts out. If you're worried about CO2, I'm not. But if you are, if you're a greenie and you say we want to reduce the amount of CO2, the thing that has allowed America to do what most countries on this planet have not been able to do. In fact, China, India and a lot of other countries have gone the opposite direction. They're putting out more of it. So if CO2 is what floats your boat. You should want the whole world using natural gas. And who has an almost endless supply, hundreds of years of natural gas supply? That would be the United States of America. And if you wonder yourself, well, if we have more than we need for our own uses for hundreds of years, why don't we sell some of it to other parts of the world? It's a great idea. In fact, for Western Europe, getting a big, much bigger available supply from America uh, gas that we would sell them. So it makes jobs, it makes tax revenue, all kinds of good things out of it. And it, it, it boosts the industry in the United States. We already have a healthy natural gas industry. It could be healthier. If we were exporting that stuff in LNG tankers to every other corner of the world, it makes money in America. It creates tax revenue in America. So guess what? If it's a smart idea, Joe Biden is going the opposite direction. The Biden administration's plan for increased natural gas exports are now causing a revolt in the Democrat Party. Here's what's happened. The administration wants to back the gas industry's plan to sell the fuel at prices that will bring a lot of money to the United States. How about that? Another export we can have that makes our country better off. But guess who's fighting him? Joe Biden's best friends on the left green side of the Democrat Party. So watch as Joe Biden folds up and caves in like a cheap suitcase because he's got an election he cares more about than the best interests of Americans. Let me go first to your calls. Let's go to, uh, how about we go to Doug? Hey, Doug, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on a Monday. What's on your mind? Uh, thank you, Lars. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, I believe that we should call for an immediate ceasefire uh, between Israel and the Palestinians. Why? The only way, uh, because there are no winners in war, that all that's happening is more and more bodies. I think history would beg sides. to differ with you on that one, Doug. There are always winners, and all you must have been brought up by a mommy who said violence never settles anything. And I'll, I'll quote or paraphrase my favorite author, Robert Heinlein, favorite fiction author, who said violence has settled almost every dispute in human history and, and will for the foreseeable future. So why do you think it'd be a good idea 
having had Hamas, the terrorist group, attack Israel and slaughter people, why would it be a good idea to say, now, Israel, you can't hit back? Well, first of all, I, I truly believe that the human family will reach world peace, that eventually we'll get there. And the way we will get there is to understand that there's blood on both sides. In, in both Where's the blood Israeli on the side? Israeli side of things? It's called othering. Anytime othering? I see, yes, it, it's the us, us versus them mentality. It's called othering. Anytime I, I know what othering, othering is, but Doug, how does that apply here? Why don't we make this simple? Let's assume that you're, Palest you're the Hamas terrorist and I'm Israel and we live next door to each other. And once a week you come over and you break my windows or you assault my wife or my granddaughter or somebody else. Do you want me to be able to hit back? Should I be able to hit back? Well, what needs to happen is to understand. No, no, no. I want you. I've listened to your point. I want you to answer my question. So you are a neighbor who is constantly assaulting my family. And now you want to tell me, Lars, let that neighbor keep assaulting you. Don't hit him back. How does that make sense? It, it, first of all, we're taught to love our enemies as ourselves. Okay, that you're is, not going to answer my question, though, are you? Because you can love your enemies as yourself, but nothing in the Bible says you don't defend yourself. In fact, Jesus told his disciples just shortly before he went up on that cross for all of us, if you have to sell your cloak, buy a sword. He knew that we were, they were going into dangerous territory, and he didn't want them defending him. He knew where he was going. He was telling them, buy a sword, even if you have to sell. It would be the equivalent of telling somebody today, sell your coat if you have to in the middle of winter, buy a sword. Defend your, be capable of defending yourself. Why in the world would it make sense to say, once you've been attacked and your people assaulted, don't hit the terrorists back. How does that make sense? Because, because there's a way of preventing that beforehand. By what is the way? Beforehand. What is the way? The way, the way is having the conversation. Is, is Israel they have had Palestine. 60 years of conversations with the Palestinians. They don't want a state. They want to kill Jews. And as long as you let them kill Jews without consequence, they're going to keep on killing Jews. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show. Exploiting your First Amendment right every single day. This is Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And part of last week, I talked about the situation at the University of Washington, where they have 12, just 12, volleyball scholarships for women, which makes them very sought after because a full-ride scholarship to a first-class university in Division I volleyball is a big deal. And then it was, we were told that a young man from Sherman Oaks, California, had committed to the University of Washington. He was going to get that scholarship. As of today, there seems to be some pullback, so we don't know precisely the status of that 12th volleyball scholarship at the University of Washington. But I told you, this is a threat to every young lady in your family who seeks to, say, participate in sports and be treated equitably 
um, and that would be fair, and then perhaps be able to pursue a scholarship to fund her education, higher education. I thought we'd talk about that with Norman Woods, who's director of a group called SD, South Dakota Family Voice. Uh, Mr. Woods, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on. Is the latest stat that University of Washington has now rescinded its offer of that volleyball scholarship to the young man from California? Because if so, that's great. That's progress, isn't it? Yes, I know things are definitely in play. And like you said, there was, there was questions. And really there should be because it's very clear to the nation what's going on here. So we're glad to see that there's now question marks. Now, does that open up the opportunity, at least in your view, that this means we can beat them? Because I've spent five years talking about this issue off and on with all the other issues we talk about. And I've said, hey, when are you parents and grandparents going to stand up and understand they're going to cheat your daughter or granddaughter out of an opportunity? And if you let them do it, they'll do it. And if you stand up and object, there's a chance we can beat them. And I got to tell you something, Mr. Woods, I haven't had uh, very much response. And, and I'm frankly not seeing very much response at all until this most recent issue over the volleyball scholarship. Well, on that respect, I have some encouraging news to share with you then, because you know, if we rewind, let's say, five, six, seven years, this question was kind of a canary in the coal mine question. The people who were first pointing out, hey, wait a second, if we're going to let males identify as females, what's that going to do to sports? You know, Even five, six, seven years ago, people were starting to ask those questions really loudly. And at that point, Elected officials really didn't care. They didn't give them the time of day. It was seen as a fringe issue. Republicans, by and large, didn't want to touch it. Let's just not talk about that. Fast forward to today, 22 states have passed legislation at the state level to protect women's sports. And you take in South Dakota, for example. You know, again, when the bills were first introduced, a lot of legislators didn't want to touch it. If you compare, you know, a few years ago, we have a a written response from one senator who in very bureaucratic terms, said, no, I don't care. I'm not going to touch it. People stood up. It became a nationwide issue because moms and dads and grandparents stood up. The very next year, that legislator had their name on it. They wanted to be in press conferences. They wanted their picture taken with the groups. They had totally changed because they saw that people cared. So this is one of those issues that for most of America still, it's really simple. A male is a male. A female is a female. And Mr. Woods, uh, you know, see, that's why this one, I mean, of all the issues we talk about, a lot of them can be thorny, they can be difficult, but this one seemed to be one that on its face was very clear cut. If you let men start to compete with women in athletics, high school or college, the men are going to win a huge amount, if not all of the time. And you say, well, given that, you know, I, I just wonder to myself, all these people on all these uh, accreditation boards or the various agencies that sanction sports at the college or high school level, you'd think they'd have said, well, we can't let, you know, say, young ladies be forced to run against biological men because the men are going to win. They may not win every time, but they're going to win a disproportionate amount of the time. And everything we just did with Title IX over the last several decades is going to go for naught. It, it kind of floored me that this wasn't one where the immediate reaction from all of the sanctioning bodies wasn't what, we're not going there, period, end of story. Instead, they all, they all to a, a greater or lesser extent, kind of cozied up to it and said, yeah, sure, we can do that. Let them compete. And, and, and there is no competition. If you look at Leah Thomas and the, the complaints that Riley Gaines uh, brought, has brought up, and she's been a champion on this one, and I, I want to give her full credit Absolutely. for that. 
But you, you'd think, I, I kept pointing out to my audience, I said, go back and look it up if you don't believe me. Men beat the four-minute mile in the 1950s. They are now well under four minutes in track and field, for example. Women mm-hmm. have never hit the four-minute mile and, and may physically not. Maybe they will someday, but in 75 years, the closest they come is like 408. And you say, now, apply that to every other sport. And I use volleyball as an example. I said, can you imagine a couple of six-foot-two-inch ringers playing on a women's volleyball team and just hammering their opponents every single time? It's too attractive for coaches, for schools, and to appear to be politically correct. Um, and it's going to push women right out of competition. And now, uh, well, maybe UW has regained its senses. But it just it struck me that this would, it should have been an easy one at the front. You know, not, well, let's see how this works, but we know how it's going to work. It's it's predictable how it's going to work, isn't it? Yes, it is. And honestly, I think at the beginning, a lot of these, whether it's colleges or legislators or whoever it is, when the left demanded that they let a few students play on the, the opposite sex team, I think a lot of these institutions just kind of like looked the other way and assumed, hey, maybe it won't be that bad. Maybe we can you know, speak their language, we can refer to this boy as a girl, we can let them play, and maybe it'll be fine, and the social pressure will go away, the political pressure will go away, you know, the left will stop, and, you know, maybe it won't be that bad. But the entire country has watched that, yes, reality still has a hold. It has been that bad. They've seen the swimmers swim against the girls. They've seen volleyball players, guys playing against the girls, Guys, bone density, lung capacity, muscle mass. I mean, everybody has seen it on their television screens and on their on their phone screens. Yeah, and and the end result is, and, and here's where, Mr. Woods, uh, I'm talking to Norman Woods, who's director of South Dakota Family Voice. The place where <clears throat> usually I, I, I'll ask my producer, I'll say, what's motivating somebody to do this? Not like a film director saying, what's your motivation? But I'm saying, you know, and I tell them, in my world, at least my worldview, three things motivate almost everything in human existence and have, for as long as humans have been around, money, sex, and power, or a combination of the three. And so when you say, Mm -hmm. let's see, what's in it if, let's say, and I don't know that we've had this happen yet, but we could. A young man walks in and says, yeah, I'm a reasonably decent swimmer, track, track and field, volleyball, whatever. Um, but uh, I'm not at the top of, of the game compared to the other guys. So I'm going to identify as a woman. And given the loose standards for identifying as a woman, it's not after your surgery, after years of hormones. At, and, there's, and there's not even a consistent standard for that. You say, you mean all I have to do is say, yeah, I'm a girl, and I'm going to dress differently and go by a different name, and I get a college education for free? Uh, and maybe even win some sports records at the same time. So I get something worth several hundred thousand or at least a hundred thousand dollars for a four year degree. Who's not? I mean, how are you not going to find a whole bunch of people lining up to say, yep, I'm in for that one. And then they go in and, and, and they completely wipe the women out of competition uh, and, and they get a free education. And when they're done with that, they can go back, and say, yep, I'm a guy. And and that's it. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine that the, their, their idea that, well, well, we'll have a few people who will take part in sports, but it won't be a big deal. It'll be a rounding error. Don't worry about it. Let it let it run its course and it'll be over. Not when you're dangling hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar educations out there. Correct. You know, one of the it's a little more harsh, but they say that women's sports has become the new landing place for mediocre males. <laughs> 
if we continue yeah. down this road. Yeah. And it's so important to always remember in all of these things, no matter how crazy things look like they're starting to get, to always remember that biology bats last. Biology bats last. At the end of the day, the male swimmer, people are going to see the results. And the track team, or in Connecticut, two males in a short amount of time took 14 or 15 state titles that used to be held by nine different women. So again, what was their motivation? Were they specifically faking it? We don't need to theorize, but you can quickly see that, yes, a mediocre male athlete can identify as female and quickly take all, all the titles. You know what you ought to do is start every one of the hearings on this with uh, 10 minutes from Tootsie and say, would a desperate male dress up like a woman to get a top-notch job and a big paycheck? You bet, every day of the week. That's Norman Woods from South Dakota Family Voice. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Just your volume. He's just that loud. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I'll get to your calls here in just a moment. But I got to tell you something. The uh, the Biden crime family apparently seems to know no bounds in, in the kind of corruption that they're involved in. There is now evidence that James Biden, the president's brother, um, there was money pulled out of the retirement accounts of elderly Americans and then transmitted by the business partner of James Biden so that it could be paid out directly to James Biden. I mean, the more we get up against this, I mean, it's going to become almost laughable as the Democrats. And we've run sound bites from, you know, Hakeem Jeffries and others saying, well, they, they say the Biden crime family is doing all these terrible things, but they don't have any evidence. Yes, they do. Bank records. Uh, they don't have any witnesses. Yes, they do. In fact, there was just testimony by the trustee for a bankruptcy, a Chapter 11 filing that involved uh, a company called AmeriCorps. And it uh, turns out that, yeah, guess what? They uh, they uh, paid out monies to James Biden. His business partner had pulled the money out of elderly people's retirement accounts, and it ended up in his family. You know, that family seems to just no holds barred when it comes to putting money in the Biden crime family. They will do just about anything. And then consider this. The Washington Post published recordings yesterday of Joe Biden's brother, James, engaged in scoring off his famous last name during the late 1990s. The Post called this article James Biden's deal making caught on FBI tapes in an unrelated bribery probe. According to the Post, the tapes came to life after or came to light after the Post received permission to review the archives at the University of Mississippi compiled by author Curtis Wilkie, who wrote a book about attorney Richard, he was known as Dickie Scruggs, a larger-than-life figure in the law world who engineered the landmark $248 billion legal settlement between the tobacco industry over its uh, sales of uh, cigarettes. Scruggs' career did not end with that. That took till 2007. He was caught in an FBI sting trying to bribe a judge. And, of course, the Bidens were right on the periphery of that. Why? Because he needed somebody who had a good name. And he got to know the Bidens while he was trying to get the tobacco settlement through Congress. And he transferred a lot of money to James Biden uh, while his brother, Joe, was a U.S. senator. 
And uh, it's hard to see it as anything but just bribery and corruption. And, of course, now it's all coming to light because the Bidens have enjoyed some amazing amounts of protection uh, for whatever reason. They are like the crime family that nobody touches in Washington, D.C., even to this day. And we just found out today that Ashley Biden, President Biden's daughter, Ashley Biden owes thousands of dollars in income taxes. And, of course, this is the same Joe Biden who just a couple of years ago was lecturing Americans, saying it's only right that you have to pay your fair share. Unless, of course, you're Hunter Biden or Ashley Biden or Joe Biden or James Biden or any of the rest of these jokers. You can only hope that at some point we're going to get to the bottom of all this. Let's go to uh, let's go to Joy. Hey, Joy in California, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, I was just going to follow up on what that man was saying about um, about what's happening in Israel and Palestine. And I don't think it's completely far fetched. Well, who knows how long it would take or whatever. But I think that there could be a place to reach a peaceful settlement um, like they did in Ireland, like they did in South Africa. I heard this, an Orthodox Jew, um, talking about that he thinks the only answer is a one-state solution, and that by working on peace and safety and rights for Palestinians and Jews within that land. Okay, but hold on, Joy. Joy, the starting point for all the conversations with the Palestinians who've never had a state and probably never will because I don't think they want a state, they want the Jews dead. And the starting point is, will you admit that Israel has a right to exist? And that's where the conversation ends. I mean, it's gone on for decades. The Palestinians want the Jews dead and Israel gone. And until they get off that point, and say, no, we're willing to let our neighbors live. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll stop attacking them, stop trying to murder them. If you've got that kind of conversation, Joy, if you moved into a, a neighborhood in California and you moved in next door to somebody and that guy just hated your guts for whatever reason, because you're a woman, because you're a Christian, or for whatever reason, right? And, and you kept talking to him saying, what is it you want? And your neighbor said, I want you dead and gone. And, and if that's where the conversation starts with, I want you dead and gone, how is it that, well, if you just work on it long enough, we'll get to a peace deal where they'll <laughs> admit that Israel has a right to exist. The, pal- the so-called well, Palestinians think- have been offered a state six different times in the last 100 years, and they have always turned it down because they said, we want a state, but we want those Jews dead and gone. Well, I think that, um, and I'm, I'm looking at what this, this person had wrote, was that his contention is that there has not been a way for um, the everyday Palestinians, not the Hamas um, uh, military The everyday members, Palestinians, the according to the polls, support Hamas. And one well, of the reasons they do now, but I, I have hold on, uh, Joy, Joy, can I point out I hate to let facts get in the way of a good rant, but fifteen years ago, people in Gaza elected the Hamas terrorists to be their representatives in par in their parliament. So if you say, Well they do now well they did fifteen that- years ago too. Well, someone that I I know through my old church in in um 
the Bay Area who works at he worked at Stanford and he worked particularly You're giving with us Ireland. a lot of detail. Get to the point, Joe. OK, Enjoy, anyway, please. but his point was that um, when he was last in Israel and in Palestine and he uh, probably 2019, he said that of the people he was talking to in Palestine, they did not want Hamas, Hamas in place. And they do don't they want, want the CLO. But the key question is, so, is, is, do they want the Jews dead and gone? And will they accept no, the see, right of I, Israel I, I to exist? maybe the leadership. I don't think that No, that's I think it's the average day. person. Joy we, had a, think- Joy, we had a gentleman on the show a few weeks ago. He, he works out of Tel Aviv University. He goes into Gaza. He goes into the West Bank. And he talks to average, everyday folks, both men and women, and asks them, what is it that it would take to settle this? And they say, Israel has to be gone. And he says, well, what about the Jews? And they say, well, they have to leave, too. And he says, including me? He says, and, and they tell him, yes, these are not the, the leadership they're not the leadership of the PL of the of the Palestinian Authority. They're not the leadership of Hamas. They're everyday Joes and Janes on the streets who say, "We'll be okay when you people leave and the state of Israel ceases to exist." So I appreciate your point, but I think your friend is an is an exception to the rule. Let's go to Tom in Alabama. Hey, Tom, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, thanks for taking my call. Always great to listen to one of the most logical talk show host on the planet. But anyway. You're, you're very generous. Usually there's a but at the end of that sentence. But go ahead. <laughs> no, listen. I, I, he who has the best military and the best weapons are going to win. Israel has every right to protect themselves against terrorism. Listen, nobody else in the whole Arab nation wants the Palestinians. The people need to realize that. It's that. true. But it's Nobody not wants them. Egypt doesn't want them. Jordan doesn't want them, and they've said so out loud. Right. And there's reasons for that, and the reasons are is because they're they're terrorists. First off. Yep. So anyway, but aside from that, I want to go back to Joe Biden's administration, to the uh, Homeland Security, the whole administration, the whole thing. Listen, we we got to stop calling them Democrats because they're not Democrats. These guys, the whole thing, everything, and and the transgender, the whole thing is all taken from the Communist Manifesto. And you're, you're absolutely right. It is all part of the Communist Playbook. And, Tom, you're right. Thanks for listening in Alabama. You got the Lawrence Larson Show. a strong Wi-Fi signal, his voice will reach you. This is Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Last week, I told you about a school board member in Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, who refused to be sworn in on a Bible. Now, that's a choice. You can choose to take the oath uh, some other way. But instead, the school board member said, no, I'm not going to take the oath of office on a Bible. I will do it on a stack of banned, so-called banned, LGBTQ books depicting naked teenagers. I thought we'd talk about the details of that with Terry Schilling, who's president of the American Principles Project. And Terry, uh, as the Daily Caller has pointed out, some of this stuff is so nasty, so very nasty, 
that I probably wouldn't read the words aloud on the air. There's not any swear words in it, but it's ideas that are so graphic that even Ron DeSantis had his live news feed cut because of some of the images that are in some of these books that the schools and some of these school board members want to aim at children. Welcome to the program, by the way. Thanks so much for having me, Lars. And no, and that was when I was preparing for this interview tonight, that that was what kept running through my head is I've read some of these books all the way through, and I can't even describe what's written in these books because of how graphic and pornographic they are. It's absolutely disgusting. And, you know, the, the thing is, the reason why you swear on the Bible is because you're saying, I will be held accountable to God, and I'm promising you to do my duties as, as, as your elected official. He's telling the people, I'm from Fairfax County, this is where I live, he's telling his voters, I don't care about you. Porn is more important to me. That's my ultimate authority. It's absolutely disgusting. But Carl Frisch is, is a total scumbag. I mean, he really is a terrible human being. He's been on the school board here for so long. There's no way to get rid of him. They've gerrymandered these districts in the same way. But Fairfax County is supposed to be one of the best school districts in the country, but only 33% of our kids are, are proficient at reading, 37% are proficient at math. But guess what? They're going to know how many genders there are, how, how all the 57 different genders. They're going to know all the millions and billions of different sexual orientations. This is a backward school district, and this is – supposed to be the best one in the entire country i'm talking to terry Schilling from american principles so then the question immediately comes up why in the world do the voters of fairfax county elect people like carl frisch because i agree with your assessment you know the idea that he wants books in front of kids some of them graphic novels and just um, i've cleaned it up for radio sexual encounters between boys not adult men boys and uh, uh, sexual interactions, including a boy performing fellatio on a man, as well as images of a man, uh, a boy masturbating. And some of them were just, you know, like I said, can't even read that stuff aloud on the radio for fear of getting an FCC complaint. But why would the voters choose this guy? They, they don't, Lars. And, but, but I'll tell you, th- th- this is a candidate that's chosen by the teachers union. Right, the, the school boards used to be a tool for parents to ensure that their kids were getting a quality education and were learning the right things. But over the years, parents started to both having to go to a job just to make ends meet. They, they create an economy where two incomes are required just to put food on the table, right? And so with that, the teachers unions took advantage, uh, and they fund this guy, they fund all these people, uh, and they take over school boards. So now the school boards don't represent kids and families and the people that they're supposed to serve. They represent the teachers, the teachers that only work nine months out of the year that get paid over a hundred grand uh, a year, right? These are some of the best paid jobs in the country, and it's all because the teachers unions are selecting the candidates, not the American people. But Carl Frisch, you know, I've looked at his campaign financing most of it comes from new york what is what why are donors in new york funding a guy in northern virginia well it's simple this area is right outside of washington dc and it sends an abundance of people more disproportionately to congress to work instead of national policies it's it's absolutely troubling and we have to take back our school boards and by the way when you say it sends people to government these are not necessarily elected officials. These are folks who work in the deep state, right? They're within the bureaucracy of the government because in a lot of ways, it may not even matter if you've got a member of Congress or you've got a president who names secretaries and undersecretaries. What matters is this gigantic federal bureaucracy made up of people who either do or don't do what they're directed to do. 
I mean, it's the kind of thing you couldn't really imagine in the private sector. If somebody new took over at Boeing or Nike or Intel or Microsoft and said, I'm in charge of the department, I want it run this way. And if there were people within the department who said, I'm just not going to do it that way, you'd say, okay, well, then you're going to get a pink slip and you're going to get fired. That typically does not happen at all in the federal government, now does it? No, it it doesn't. In fact, the incentives are so uh, in the in the uh, the uh, direction of of dissent and actually rejecting what the president wants, unless they're part of the regime. Right? You saw all of these people in the Trump administration who absolutely committed acts of treason. Essentially, right? They lied. They they misrepresented themselves. They they completely fabricated claims against Trump. And what happened? Well, they got book deals. They were put there. They're made contributors on CNN and MSNBC, right? The Vindmans, yep. right? Nothing. What they said was true. It was all lies, Alexander but they got rewarded. Vindman. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, even to the point where Terry, if people think this was only on the small stuff or things that happened in the bureaucracy, do you remember that President Trump said, "I want all our troops out of Syria," and there were there were people afterward who said, "Yeah, we were on the ground in Syria, not soldiers." but people directing the act activity and said, we just decided that was a bad idea, so we didn't do it. And you're thinking, hold on. It's, it's one thing if, you know, the new director of the Department of Education says we're using a new kind of letterhead, and, you know, who cares? But when, when, he, when a president's orders to take troops out of a particular theater are simply and routinely ignored and superseded by people, you know, 50 layers below them, that, that tells you how bad the situation is. No, and it, but it's not just these lower-level departments. You're mentioning the military. Uh, General Milley was tipping no. off the Chinese, the Chinese communists that want to destroy our country and enslave us all. Right? These are traitors, and they get rewarded and promoted. They get gold stars. <laughs> you know, they advance further by betraying their fellow citizens and be enacting treasonous. It's, it's totally, it's like we woke up in a total dystopia and there's a communist regime in charge, but they're not calling themselves communists. Well, if there's a silver lining to this, Terry, and it's, it's a painful silver lining, but if what it's doing is making the public schools so toxic that literally millions of American parents are going to say, and they have been doing this, we're pulling our kids out, We'll find them private education. We'll find them charter. We'll find them school choice. We're getting our kids out. And the public schools end up dying on the vine because of it. So be it. No, I, I think that's right. But I do think, look, we spend almost a trillion dollars a year on public education. Why are we giving them that money at all? Right? Let's take back our school systems. Let's fire these people. Let's, let's get rid of all of them. Let's do what Reagan did with the air traffic controllers and fire <laughs> them all and then force them to apply to get rehired. Right? Like, in what world do you keep your job when only 33% of your students are successful at reading? It doesn't make any sense at all. Terry, thank you very much for what you do at American Principles. That's Terry Schilling, the president of that group. Uh, glad to get your emails. Talk at LarsLarson.com. Glad to take your calls at 866-A-LARS. Uh, check out our Instagram feed and be sure to tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Stand by playback. And now, live. Real red meat radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This 
is The Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's easy. 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers go to the head of the line. I want to ask you this. In Joe Biden's America, can a business owner still close his business if he wants to? Well, apparently he or it cannot. When we're talking about large companies, can a large company simply say, some of these stores are not working out for us, we're going to close them down. Now, there is currently a National Labor Relations Board order. They are saying that one of America's biggest and, I guess, most noteworthy companies, it's a, it's a name known to virtually everybody, Starbucks, has been told that the NLRB wants them to reopen stores that the company decided to close. And I think that's absolutely crazy. We don't yet live in a socialist country, although I think Joe Biden's friends and allies might want us to be in a socialist country. But until we are, can the government tell a company you're not allowed to close your stores? I'll get into the details of that in just a moment. But first, welcome to First Amendment Friday. And if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to disagree with me, you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line. We always have. We always will. At 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And of course, you can always vote in our Twitter poll. My producers and I put up a brand new question, uh, question of the day, every day, at Lars Larson Show on X or Twitter, uh, and also on our website at LarsLarson.com. But let me get to this. This is completely crazy. The coffee giant Starbucks, and I really don't have a dog in the fight there because... I'm not invested in Starbucks. I don't own a Starbucks store. Uh, and in fact, I don't even tend to care for their coffee. I think they burn their beans, so I go somewhere else. But Starbucks has decided to close about two dozen stores nationwide. Eight of them are in its home state of Western Washington, uh, but they are they're closing the stores because they're not working out. Now, every business has run into this from time to time. And most companies don't like closing their stores down. Why? Because they open the stores up to make a profit. But if they're not making a profit, if the stores have become a problem because, let's say, for example, they happen to be located in places where crime has gone up dramatically, where their front window keeps getting broken out, where their customers are afraid to be there because of all the drug dealing and the homelessness and the assaults and everything else that are going on in that area, a giant company like Starbucks that literally owns hundreds, uh, tens of thousands of stores worldwide and, and thousands of stores nationwide in America, if the company says we got to close down two dozen stores, but then the labor unions rear their ugly heads and they say, no, no, you can't do that. You're only closing those stores because of our union activity. Now, some Starbucks stores have decided to be union represented. I think that's foolish. I think it's anti-competitive. I think that in some cases, people who decide, let's form a labor union, don't understand they are cutting their own throats because the labor union, yes, will make demands of the company, 
And if that doesn't pencil out, the union doesn't have to care. You're still paying your union dues, but your job may be going away. And where it gets really crazy that the National Labor Relations Board has filed an official complaint accusing Starbucks of unlawfully closing 23 of its stores out of, as I said, thousands and thousands of stores that they own. The federal agency demand demands that the company reopen all of those closed locations and then pay all the workers for the work they didn't do in the stores that have already been closed. Now, if any naysayer thinks that's right, I'd be glad to hear the argument. I think it's insane. And frankly, I don't think that the government, even the National Labor Relations Board, which, by the way, very much reflects the politics of Joe Biden in the White House, uh, I don't think the NLRB can force you to say you must operate that business. And here's what's really crazy. If they had only closed stores that had been unionized or about to be unionized, they might have actually had an argument. But only a couple of those 23 stores were trying to unionize, and they are happen to be in parts of America where crime has risen dramatically. They have closed stores in places like San Francisco and in Portland and in Seattle and a number of other cities in neighborhoods where it's notoriously dangerous. And yet here are the unions saying not only can we form a bargaining unit, not only can we go on strike if we choose to, not only can we make demands that might not actually pencil out at the end of the day, but now... Our union is going to file a complaint with the federal government, and we want to force the company to reopen the stores, even if the stores aren't making a profit, even if that location is not working out. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But, of course, unions do crazy things all the time. But the fact is, if the company says we need to close that store, maybe we'll reconfigure it. Maybe we'll figure out different security. But for the time being, does a company in Joe Biden's America have the privilege of being able to close one of its stores or two dozen of its stores? I think they do. 866-439-5277 to comment. Naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Let's go to Jim, first of all, on a First Amendment Friday. Hey, Jim, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Thank you, Lars. A longtime listener, first-time caller. Thank you. Uh, my question is, after these uh, trans athletes have gotten their, uh, their scholarships and deprived real female athletes of their uh, their right. Has anybody decided or thought about keeping track of them to see how long they keep up this charade after they graduate from college? I would like to do that, Jim, because, but I mean, enough, this whole thing has exploded in about the last five or six years. Now, people will say, well, trans people have been around for hundreds of years. That's true. But the trans movement, the way it's exploded in America, it's only been around for a few years. And I'm telling you, Jim, there are going to be people who say, eh, I'm kind of a mediocre swimmer, track man, whatever, uh, with, with the times I'm producing. Um, uh, but, but if I become a woman for a time, uh, my times and my scores are going to look fantastic. And I, I could see somebody doing that. And when I've had people suggest to me, Lars, nobody would do something like that. Jim, imagine getting a college as this volleyball player just got a Division One scholarship for women's volleyball, except it was a biological man who says he identifies as a woman. And if you said to somebody, would you be willing to pretend you're a woman 
in exchange for a couple of hundred thousand dollars worth of college paid for by somebody else. I have a feeling there are more than a few people who'd be willing to take exactly that deal. And if they later on say, I've decided to detransition, who's to tell them any different? Because most of the systems, the educational institutions that are doing this, they're not even insisting on what the standard is to become a woman. Do you have to just take the hormones? Do you have to do the surgery? Do you have to have your plumbing removed? Who knows? And what, where will they go in a few years? Again, who knows? But we should keep track. Back in just a moment. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Actually, want to be at? This is the Lars Larson Show. As the cost of Christmas has climbed so high, even the head of the Biden crime family finds it expensive. Over a billion, three hundred million, trillion, three hundred million dollars. Merry Christmas from the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. Elections are coming up, and you probably think I'm talking about November of 2024. But no, I'm talking about elections coming up in Hong Kong and in Taiwan. And the question is, what will the Chinese communists on the mainland say about that? Well, to get a really intelligent point of view on it. Miles, you joins me now, senior fellow and director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute. And I have to disclose, Miles, my dog in the fight. I like Taiwan. I was born there. I think it's a great country. Uh, Hong Kong, I've never been to, but it was a great place until the Chinese communists took over. What What's the mainland and what is Beijing going to do with these elections coming up? And are they going to keep their, uh, you know, stick to, stick to their lane? Okay, thank you, uh, uh, Lars, uh, for having me on your show again. Sure. The the uh, the uh, election in Hong Kong was a sham. Uh, the election that's coming up in Taiwan in January is actually uh, of great importance. Let me just say the the reason the election in Hong Kong was it took place uh, several a uh, couple of weeks ago. Thank it was you basically for that. the local district council. Uh, this was one that uh, the pro democracy candidates won. Over 81% of all, all seats in 2019. And that's because even though the, uh, this council membership actually is not really that important, it's just consultative. But 95% of, of, of them were directly elected. So this direct election actually excited the people in Hong Kong. That's why they participated. After the 2019 election, the Chinese Communist Party was shocked. So they enacted this national security law and to change the 95% direct election to 20%. Uh, and then even that, uh, the national security law for Hong Kong disqualified every pro-democracy candidate. So that's why it's a sham. What? So the election, the, yeah, the election that took place a, a couple of weeks ago uh, was the same kind of election. No pro-democracy candidate is, was even allowed to, to participate. And people in Hong Kong show no interest in their own. The participation rate is about 27%. Very, very low. 
So, uh, so that's why do I the one in Taiwan is coming up is actually there uh, every four years there's a presidential election. So uh, that's one actually is very very important because uh, you have basically the incumbency, uh, the DPP party, the Democratic Progressive Party, and and also you have the T, uh, KMT party. That's the more sort of you know amendment friendly party. They want to have. Uh, they don't want to alienate China, but then, as if you know, if you're nicer to China, China will let, uh, be a nicer person to you. So that's basically is not going to happen. So this well, is a, this is a really, really important. Miles, uh, you know, Hong Kong and Taiwan are a bit different because Hong Kong is property handed back to the mainland, and they were promised autonomy. Uh, the Chinese Communists reneged on that deal. Taiwan's different because it is its own separate country, even though the mainland doesn't recognize that. To what extent do uh, do the folks in Beijing have the ability to mess with the Taiwanese election? Well, that's basically the very interesting thing. Taiwan is much harder for China to to conquer, so they realize that. So about uh, several decades ago, they came up with this uh, this uh, this formula called a one country, two systems. That is, uh, you know, uh, if Taiwan and Hong Kong all go back to China, and then China Chinese Communist Party would allow uh, huh. Taiwanese people or Hong Kongese people to keep their, their uh, capitalist way of uh, lifestyle. That's a promise. That promise. So they use Hong Kong as a kind of example to show to Taiwanese this actually is going to work. And, of course, that promise was just totally uh, uh, BS. And because that formula failed completely in Hong Kong, so there's no inspirational, exemplary power whatsoever left for Taiwanese. You're absolutely right. Taiwan is not like Hong Kong. Uh, Taiwan has, for all practical purposes, has its uh, uh, sovereignty and has independence. Uh, no foreign country has ruled Taiwan since 1945, and no Chinese Communist Party uh, apparatus has ever ruled Taiwan uh, for one second, so since 1949. So that's why uh, it's very important for Taiwanese people to decide their own future, their own fate, through elections, through ballot box. I'm talking to Miles Yu, who's a senior fellow and director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute. So given what the mainland did to Hong Kong, they couldn't resist. And tell me if I'm wrong in reading it this way. They said, we promise we'll give you, you know, autonomy uh, to run your own affairs uh, for 50 years. They reneged about halfway through that deal, as I recall the numbers. Um, so given that, when Taiwan sees that's the way one country, you know, two systems works out, why would anybody in Taiwan buy off on a, on the same kind of promise from the mainland as to how they would treat Taiwan when they completely screwed screwed Hong Kong over in that deal? Well, that's a good question. Uh, the answer is that uh, very few people, if anybody in, in in Taiwan, would really believe that kind of China's promise. And China has no credibility on that. The issue right now is. Uh, uh, is not about uh, whether Taiwan should go back to China or not. The, the issue right now in the election is about uh, war or peace. So basically, China has put a lot of pressure on Taiwanese voters. Say, if you uh, really do not uh, uh, to be to be annexed by me, and I'm going to have a war with you. So that's why a large uh, portion of the establishment say, you know what, let's just not antagonize China unnecessarily. Uh, so that's one part of the argument. The other part of the argument is that, well, you know, it's really not Taiwanese people uh, who are who are nasty toward mainland China. It's China has this imperial ambition to conquer Taiwan, uh, which is not even even belong to mainland China. So that's why there is an issue. The U.S. basically doesn't get involved in this argument election, but United States has pledged 
our uh, uh, our military intervention if China does invade Taiwan. So that's why uh, President Biden actually extracted something from Xi Jinping in San Francisco conference. Uh, Xi Jinping said, I don't have any plan. But you never know, because even if he does have a plan, he would not have told, told Well, and are America. they trying to play the long game by the, China, the mainland Chinese, Beijing, is saying to Taiwan, why don't you elect the party that's that's allowing more of a go along and get along attitude instead of a belligerent attitude toward mainland China? They're just playing the long game, saying if if we can get them to kind of slide our direction a little bit, then eventually we'll win this thing without a war. Is that what they're trying to do? That was their thinking all along. They said the war because this really is about the two political systems: a communist system and a capitalist system, and a communist system would ultimately win, and that didn't happen. So now, as a matter of fact, with the passage of time, Taiwan is becoming more and more free and more and more democratic and more and more economically powerful. That's basically, you know, uh, uh, make China very, very sort of uh, freaked out. And that's why they want to do it sooner rather than later. On the other hand, uh, in recent years, uh, Taiwan, uh, yes, is important for the Chinese Communist Party, but uh, China has a much larger agenda. Uh, that, that is, uh, China wants to have a global dominance. So... Uh, if the Taiwanese uh, invasion of Taiwan would serve that global agenda, China would do it. But right now, because Taiwan is so popular, doing all the things globally, is it's got a lot of support, not only from the United States, but also European democracies. You look at the French, the Germans, the, the British, and the Lithuanians. Everybody loves Taiwan. So that's why uh, if we military intervention on, on Taiwan... Uh, aggression on Taiwan, I think China has to consider the global repercussion, sanctions and uh, embargo and many other possible uh, outcomes of that. So that's why uh, China is hesitant right now. And our job is to increase the China's strategic hesitancy uh, by doing all the right things to prevent that well, from happening. Miles, I know you can't say this, but I'll say it. I know how to make, their, make them more hesitant. Americans can elect Donald Trump instead of Joe Biden, who seems to be willing to go along with anything China wants to do uh, and, and basically sell us out on our energy future and our military as we head up to a possible confrontation with China. Miles, thanks very much. That's Miles Yu, who's at the China Center at the Hudson Institute. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show. Back in just a moment. The Lars Larson Show. Talk to Lars, 866-HEY-LARS. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you and always a pleasure to welcome back Bob Woodson because Bob is such an impressive character. I mean, we've been talking to Bob for years, but I, I just looked up his bio again to refresh my memory. A man who uh, dropped out of high school at 17 to join the United States Air Force. And this was, I'm an old guy, but he dropped out 
to join the Air Force in 1954, which is a long time ago, and he's still going strong. Civil rights veteran, urban community development leader, author, and founder and president of the Woodson Center. And, of course, along with the new project, 1776 Unites. Uh, Bob, welcome back. I'm pleased to be back, Mark. Pleased to be back. Merry Christmas to you and yours. And, by the way, congrats on the success of your new book, Red, White, and Black. Yeah, we developed, as you know, curriculum from it, and we're now up to 130,000 downloads in all 50 states. So uh, maybe school systems have adopted it. Well, so maybe if if people wanted an individual project they could take on, they could say, "Hey, uh, go to your local school board and say, why don't you consider the curriculum of Red, White, and Black: Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers, <laughs> written by Bob Woodson." Everybody listening could go to their school board meeting and say, any reason not to adopt this as a counterpoint to some of the nonsense that's getting shoveled out in public schools right now? Right. Well, it's been well received uh, in some surprising places. But I, as someone said, and, uh, unless you uh, honor truth, then lies become normal. That's absolutely that's the case. That's in our schools today. Bob, I want to ask you about something in terms of current issues right now. You, you and I have talked before about Black Lives Matter, BLM. Why in the world is BLM in America so pro-Hamas terrorism and anti-Israel? Do you have an insight on that? Anybody, any, anything that is anti-American, Black Lives Matter stands for. They're Marxist. So any opportunity they get, particularly to, to draw parallels between the, the, the plight of blacks in America and American so-called systemic racism. So any opportunity to, to, to express an anti-American sentiment, they take, they take advantage of it. Uh, and, and so that's what's going on here. And it's a part of the misappropriation of the civil rights legacy that has been long practiced by Black Lives Matter. Um, no, it doesn't. And does, they, they call America a uh, systemically racist, of course, and a colonizer nation. And they throw Israel into that same into that same category. And, and it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, if anything, the Jewish people have had a claim on that piece of property for on that uh, that part of the world for at least the last four thousand years or so. I know so because I read it in the book. And also ignores the, the, the rich tradition of cooperation and partnership between the Jewish community and the black community, um, you know, in, even before the civil rights movement, and I point this out in my recent column in Newsweek, uh, Black Lives Matter does not speak for black America. Julius Rosenwald, uh, the Jewish CEO of Sears, spent many uh, years partnering with Booker T. Washington, and together they built 5,000 schools that educated successfully 700 thousand young blacks throughout the South, uh, starting at the turn of the century, um, when he was asked to support YMCA's in Chicago, he only did it on the condition that, that they would invest in black YMCA's to help blacks that were migrating from the South to the North uh, to leave segregation, and he is responsible for the proliferation of of uh, YMCA, black YMCA's throughout the North. And so there's, it's just a rich legacy of uh, an experience of cooperation between the Jewish community 
and uh, and uh, Julius and the black community. People like Marla Angelo uh, received support from uh, Julius Rosenwald. John Lewis, Congressman, former Congressman, uh, late John Lewis, attended a Rosenwald school. As a result of his investment, the education gap between 1920 and 1940 in the South closed from three years to six months. All of these successes were attributed to the partnership with the Jewish community. So for Black Lives Matter to discourage or disparage that relationship is ridiculous. I'm talking to Bob Woodson. He's the author most recently of Red, White, and Black. You should check out the book. He's with the 1776 Unites Project. And, of course, he's president of the Woodson Center. So is BLM just trying to poison that entire relationship? And if so, what's what's the end game to poisoning something that, as you point out, actually has produced some concrete results? you got to understand that when you go through, I spent a lot of times in low-income black neighborhoods, and you never see Black Lives Matter flags in those neighborhoods. You see them mostly in guilty white communities in front of their churches and whatnot. So uh, Black Lives Matter has no, no standing in the black community. You know, it's uh, white progressives uh, enjoy being a part. I saw something, Lark, that, that really blew my mind some years ago. A white woman uh, with a Black Lives Matter T-shirt on was beating a black woman who was in a Trump parade on Pennsylvania Avenue who was pushing a toddler in a stroller. That, that's how lengths that they have gone to, to uh, of expressing outrage that they are, they, they are the spokesperson for black America. Black Lives Matter, again, it's, it's outrageous what they're doing, and no one should take them seriously. I'm talking to Bob Woodson, but Bob, tell me how you think this is going to play out in the presidential election year we've got ahead of us. Less than 12 months from now, we're going to have an election, and black voters have always been used and I think abused by the Democrat Party. Now you've got a president who's got a long history of racism. His own vice president has called him out as a racist, and yet they're, they're going to try and use black voters one more time. How do we push back against that? Well, I think that, as I have said a long time ago, black America has no permanent friends or permanent enemies or permanent issues. And you're seeing that. And, in fact, if you, you're seeing a break with the Democratic Party when DeSantis in 2018 ran for the governorship against Gillum, the, I think, the oh Tampa mayor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he won only by 34,000 votes, and that's because 100,000 black, low-income blacks uh, uh, split their ticket and voted for DeSantis because of his position on choice and education. Even though DeSantis, uh, his opponent, black opponent, Gillum, um, had President Obama and Oprah Winfrey come to Florida and campaign for him. So low-income 100,000 low-income blacks demonstrated their independence and willingness to vote on the issues when they voted for DeSantis against Oprah Winfrey and Obama. So I think that, that that's, that's an indication of a trend towards more independent voting in the black community. Well, let's hope so. And Gillum, at the end of the day, turned out to be a major league train wreck, didn't he? <laughs> that's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that, that gives a bad name to a train wreck. 
<laughs> hey, Bob, congratulations on the success of Red, White, and Black, rescuing American history from revisionists and race hustlers, and, of course, for your leadership of the Woodson Center and the 1776 Unites Project. And I mean that seriously, Bob. A lot of people will call the show and they'll say, okay, you've got these problems, you've talked about them, what should I do? I said, if you, if you download Bob Woodson's curriculum, take it to your local school board meeting and say, during the public comment time, there's usually one of those, say, is there any way we can put this curriculum in front of some of the kids? And if not, you tell us why not. Bob, Merry Christmas to you and yours. And thanks for all the work you've done in 87 years. And thanks for your service in the United States Air Force. Back in a moment. Glad to get your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Larson Show live at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. In a moment, after I talk to a naysayer, I want to tell you about the latest craziness in Los Angeles where DACA, that's Deferred Action Against Childhood Arrivals, the so-called dreamers, meaning they are illegal aliens who came into America illegally. They are in America illegally. Uh, President Obama tried illegally to legalize their status. And their status is not legal. But uh, the Los Angeles Police Department has now decided to equip them with badges and guns, believe it or not. Uh, while Joe Biden is trying to take away guns from law-abiding American citizens, Los Angeles wants to put guns in the hands of people who are illegally in America. If that makes sense to you, I'd be glad to take the call. But first, I want to go to Tom, because Tom heard me talking about this announcement by the, the Pope, the, Catholic, the head of the Catholic Church. Uh, who claims to be God's representative on earth, uh, who has now decided that he's going to give a blessing to same-sex couples. And I think this is a blatant attempt by the church to stop its decline in membership in places like Western Europe and the United States. But, Tom, if you're a naysayer, that means we must disagree about something. So welcome to the program, and what's on your mind? Well, Lars, thank you for having me on. Um, I guess i just start off by saying Christ came to embrace and love the sinner. And I, I feel like that's our mission as Christians, is to embrace our hurt, wounded, and sick brothers and sisters, showing them love and mercy, not loving the sin, but embracing the person. And that's where I feel like, um, as a Catholic, that that's what we're called to do, to embrace the sinner and not knowing they're sinners, but we're all sinners, and yeah, and we love are. them anyway. And by the way, Tom, even as a Protestant, I agree with your assessment, but here's where I think you're giving the Catholic Church a pass. Because the Catholic Church, in its announcement today, didn't say, we know we're all sinners, we're going to bless you as a sinner. They're blessing the sin. Because what the Church announced was not that it was going to embrace and bless individuals. It was going to bless the couples. In other words, 
the big difference that they've done is up till now, up until today, the Catholic Church said it would not endorse same-sex unions, not even marriage, but same-sex unions. Now they say we will endorse same-sex couples in their relationship. So in other words, they're, they're blessing the sin. And it, it, let me ask you this. If you went to your, you're a Catholic, and I'm not, but if you went to your priest, and uh, I, I, I'm guessing you might be a married guy. Are you a married guy? Yes. Let's say when you and your wife were still not married, if you'd gone to your priest, um, your local Catholic priest, and said, hey, Father, uh, we're going to get married one of these days, where we expect to, but uh, we want to live together for a few years and see how it works out. Would you mind giving your blessing? Could the church give its blessing to us just living together? What would your priest have said? No. And why? Because it's not a marriage. It's not, it's not a sacrament. Well, because you're not supposed not. to be having sex outside of marriage, right? Right. Okay. So what's the difference between your priest saying no to you, saying we ca I can't give my blessing to you and your now wife living together when you were still single? He would have said no. So why is it then when homosexuals go to the Catholic Church and they say, we would like you to bless our relationship of living together and presumably, although I'm not going to inquire, having sex, why would the Catholic Church see it not as the same thing, endorsing sin by saying, we're going to bless you living together? They didn't say we're going to bless each member in that relationship. They're blessing the relationship, aren't they? Yeah, I think that's. Does Correct. your priest bless I, any of the sinful... Th I mean, I know, look, I'm a sinner too, all right? I, we're all imperfect, we're all fallen, and we all ask for forgiveness for our sins. But is there any other sin that your local Catholic Church will endorse? No. Then why should they do it this time? Well, and, and I guess I uh, hadn't heard the details of what the Pope had said. Well, they're, they're real clear about it. In fact, um, what they've said is they said he issued guidance today that allows priests to bless same-sex couples, right? And they say as long as they don't conflate the blessing with the ritual of marriage, that they're going to bless it. And I know that there are people out there, Tom, I expect, and I because I hear from people all the time, who say, why is this any of your business? And the reason I would say it's my business, number one, I can have an opinion on anything I want, and I can give voice to that opinion because I still live in a country where at least theoretically the government can't take away my right to free speech, although Joe Biden is working hard to do that. But when, when a powerful institution like the Catholic Church that represents 1.3 billion people on planet Earth, although a declining number of Americans and Western Europeans, but when I see them come out and say, we're going to do this. They have tremendous pull, would you agree, when, when it comes yes. to government? And when the Catholic Church says this is now okay, that a lot of governments take that as, oh, the Catholic Church has endorsed it, it must be okay. I, and again, I haven't read the official statement. I just refuse to believe that the Catholic Church is endorsing same-sex couples. They are. And in fact, let me tell you, there's a guy named James J. Martin, who's uh, the editor of a magazine called America. It's a Catholic magazine. And he says it's a huge step forward for LGBTQ Catholics. He says, quote, the church recognizes the deep desire in many Catholic same-sex couples for God's presence and help in their committed relationships. And he told the Associated Press, along with many Catholic priests, I will now be delighted to bless my friends 
in same-sex marriages, which the Catholic Church actually stopped short of doing that. But they said, we will bless the relationship between these two men or these two women. And, and it sounds like, and it'd be interesting to ask your church, are you now going to bless the you know, two unmarried men living together and having sex or two unmarried women living together and having sex, but you would not do the same for two unmarried heterosexuals living together? Yeah, I guess I guess what I would say is needing to learn more about it. I think uh, I don't I don't believe that the Catholic Church should be blessing any sin or endorsing any sin or blessing a relationship that's not uh, in alignment with the Catholic teaching and the natural order. Ha- having said that, I I do think that the Catholics and and all Christians need to embrace people, and I think there's been a lot of hurt. Em- embrace people. But, but, Tom, there's the key. Right. Is there a difference between embracing a person? I mean, all the way back to the beginning of AIDS, I covered AIDS way back in the day in the early 80s, and the Catholic Church said, look, we don't agree with the behavior that produces most of the cases of AIDS, which is still uh, homosexual relationships, but we're, we'll, em- we'll embrace the individual. You know, we're not going to hate this individual. We may hate what he did. We may say what he did is sinful and wrong and abomination, but we're not going to throw the individual out. But endorsing the relationship, this is a a whole new page for the Catholic Church. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.